0: Good morning, I uh, always like to be the first speaker because then you can compare the other speakers to me. And uh, number one and number two, you're fresh, you have had your coffee and I hope a good night's sleep. <laughs> and and so you're raring to go. I am have talked with some of you living up to your reputation of being very bright. So what I'm going to do is give you a few suggestions that I gave to the graduating school at Cornell University, the Graduate School of Management and I made the baccalaureate address up there on May the 27th. And then I will say another word or two and hope I leave some time for Uh, Questions because I think that's the best way to learn things. First off, and I thought this was very important whatever you do, the first principle in business is absolutely, unquestionably, being honest. That's the first and the most important principle that anybody can live by, young or old. And you got to be honest in your heart, your soul, and your mind. Integrity will help you move forward, but the lack of it will topple you from any perch of success you may achieve. True honesty is the difference between Lee Iacocca and John DeLorean. Iacocca brought prosperity back to an ailing auto company and is now ranked in an impartial poll as being America's second most influential man outside of government. John DeLorean's future now lies in the criminal courts. Now a second principle, work hard, do your best, put in the long hours, the dedication, and the sacrifice necessary to rise in your chosen profession. But to be a leader, it takes more than a title. Leadership cannot be given to you by anyone. You have, to, you have to earn it. And then another principle is that don't be bashful or don't be ashamed to change your course if you find out that you don't think you would be what you wanted to be in the first course you started. At one time, I wanted to be a, a doctor. But after a couple of years in college, I went back and worked with my uncle, who was a preeminent doctor in my little country town. Doctors were always loved. They got a lot of hams and this, that, and the other, sometimes in lieu of money. But I decided that I wouldn't be a very good doctor. I'd better get back in business, so I changed. And you you really don't know until you've tried it out. But just keep that in mind because unless you like what you are doing and unless you get a big kick out of it other than earning the money, you're not going to be uh, very good at it. I had written for newspapers in my early days and I decided this was the field I wanted to get in. So I took business and journalism. They graduated me at the journalism school and then traded it to the University at Chapel Hill for engineering, and I think that was the best trade they ever made. But uh, the the real thing is to do what you want and what you enjoy and then do it as well as you, to your very best. young reporter for the paper asked me last night what was my greatest result uh, uh, regrets what was my greatest failure and I said I don't remember he said you don't remember I said no when I fail somebody gets to best me I try to get back to see if I can get on my feet if I can I forget it and never think about it any get more so there's no point in thinking about what might have been you simply start out on a on a new on a new deal now I want to uh, Tell you one thing, the rest of it it can be read there. But you have to have some good help. You must have a good banker. You must have a good lawyer if you go in business for yourself. And uh, uh, you've got to have a lot of friends. And don't ever neglect to ask older people to help you. People who helped me most along the way were considerably older than I was. And I listened to them. I didn't always do what they said, but I listened. And they were most helpful to me in every way now about getting a job and you're very bright and perhaps people will be beaten away to your a path to your door but we don't know what the future is going to be and i graduated in the early 30s in the depth of the depression and jobs were very scarce I wrote letters on a portable typewriter, and I had a quota because my postage was limited and my time was limited, and I also had a job. But I wrote about 15 a day and typed them, and I didn't get much results. I got people who wrote back and said I could buy a franchise, and I could do this, that, and the other. And really, I got a little bit mad about this, and I saw one one day that was, and this is a strange coincidence. in this. Uh, reminded me of it because I'm in room 731 the box number was 731 in Raleigh I wrote the letter on Sunday post offices did better work than they did today and I went down the next morning at 6 o'clock and when the post office opened I was there you see if you answer a blind ad you don't know that's like shooting in the dark you don't know who you should be uh, talking to I put this in a pink envelope so we could pick it out And I stood there, and when the gentleman came up, I walked up and told him who I was and said, I want you to read the peak envelope first, and he had a whole bundle of stuff already. And I found the name and the name of the company. He was not the manager, he was a male secretary, but he went back and told the boss. And that helped me get in to see the boss, and I got the job and there were some 600 applications for that particular job. So I know what it is to have some uh, hard times. This is about the main thing that I want to tell you now. Let me take let, let me ask, answer some questions. Anybody have a question? Here we have right in the middle. Oh. Uh, Mr. Park, you own quite a number of, of newspapers and radio stations and television stations. As a one-time journalist yourself, how do you feel about Uh, owning such a large portion of the press. Do you try to exert any kind of editorial influence to shape the policy of these stations and and newspapers? Uh, Yes, to this degree. We tell them to serve the community. We insist that half of the front page on our newspaper be in local news. We tell them they are to write editorials that will help their community. We have Republican papers, Democratic papers, and independent papers, we never send anything out from Ithaca that has to run. The days of William Randolph Hearst are over. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Park, uh, do you perceive any misconceptions that the public might have about the media in general? Uh, Would you reword that, because it's a little bit uh, a uh, hard question to answer. What do you mean by misconceptions? Okay. Uh, do you see any general attitudes that the public might have about the media that may not necessarily be true? Well, yes, but uh, I also see an attitude on the part of the media about the public. And what we really like <laughs> is for somebody to write us and tell us what a lousy job we're doing or whatever it is because that stirs up interest. It gets people to read our papers or listen to our broadcast properties. And unless you're provocative in your newspaper, if you're just dull as dishwater, you're not going to have any circulation, you're not going to have any particular readership. So we, we invite this, and uh, w- we do not try to fend it off in any way. We encourage it. might say one other thing, that we run a lot of local pictures in one of our newspapers, just last week, well, a little longer than that because I got it from the Cornell speech, we actually pictured in one issue 183 people. Now, they were not all full-column cuts. There were groups and everything else. But if you live in a small town, this is Statesville, North Carolina, and our circulation is a little under 20,000, a lot of people never get their picture in the paper. And if you have to get it in through the Women's Club or the Rotary Club or the Junior Chamber Chamber of Commerce or the Possum Hunters organization, well, that's all right, too. Your picture's in the paper. Last question here, please. Yes, sir. Uh, The Christine Kraft case has sparked a lot of interest about discrimination with women in television news, youth and looks. How do you feel about the Christine Kraft case and the role of women in journalism in general? We have uh, ladies who manage some of our newspapers and do an outstanding job. If we're putting them on the air, we do not think it's discrimination to want an attractive face any more than we do if we're having a man on the air. Well, I could never get on the air. Now he could get on the air. (laughs) Because people tend to be drawn to to good-looking men like, say, Walter Cronkite, And then he becomes a father figure, and they believe him, and they have great confidence in him. And uh, so far as being loved, why, he'd be loved a whole lot more and believed than Howard Cosell, but Howard Cosell doesn't do bad either because he stirs things up. We have have no difference between uh, ladies and gentlemen because just remember, one of these days, some man is going to bring a suit and say, you discriminated the other way. And I wonder when that happens, whether you'll have all of the press and the suits that you have when it goes the other way. We also have no discrimination whatsoever on minority groups. In fact, we encourage them, and uh, they turn out to be some of our, of our of our best people. We are in the South, and in some of our areas, in Richmond, Virginia, where in volume our biggest station is, we have... Uh, really the second highest percentage of blacks of any uh, town in the country except Washington. And that's because Richmond has not expanded its borders like a lot of other people are, and a lot of the whites have moved out into the suburbs. And these people come in and do a good job, and we have them on the air. They are uh, respected as long as they do their job and do it as an anchor person rather than feel they're going to keep the job because they are a woman or because uh, their skin may be a different color than the rest of us. Thank you very much. Thank you. you.